You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media. Let's make some noise. Welcome to The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me is Ms. Rita Sue. Hi. On this special episode, we're looking at the 2006 documentary film, The Slanted Screen. This documentary from Jeff Adachi looks at the portrayal of Asian men in American films. Now, I saw The Slanted Screen probably, I know I saw it after I saw another film, which was called Hollywood Chinese. Hollywood Chinese came out, I believe, in 2008, 2009, I want to say. No, sorry, 2007. And I saw that at the Toronto Film Festival years ago. And that one, it had a more A-list cast, let's say, as far as some of the folks that were in there. You know, actually having James Hong in there and Wayne Wang, Nancy Kwan, Ang Lee, all these folks. But it was more general as far as just talking about how Chinese people have been portrayed in film. And it was very specifically Chinese uh, when it was coming to that. So it wasn't all Asian people. And it really felt like that documentary, it really spoke about a kind of a lost film that was found and being preserved. And it almost felt like this is a PBS special that we're going to run before we actually run the film that night. So it, it, told me a lot, but it also glossed over a lot. And it really, you know, it, it brought up a lot of similar things between the two films. But when I saw The Slanted Screen, I thought that that was the better film because it was more encompassing as far as all Asians, though it was very particular to Asian men. I did like that Hollywood Chinese had Asian women or Chinese women as well. But The Slanted Screen, it also felt... It felt like there was more passion there, and it felt like there was a lot of anger there. And I kind of appreciated that, because I have been very cognizant of the way that Asian people have been portrayed in film for a long time. I, but I won't say that when I was a teenager or anything that I really knew anything, but it was more when I got into college and was exposed to Broken Blossoms for the first time, the D.W. Griffith film, and had a teacher who was very, very into the whole idea of the way that Asian people are portrayed on screen as this kind of other, this this kind of like a, almost a scapegoat for the sins of white people. So like looking at something like The Big Sleep and seeing all of the quote-unquote Orientalism that happens in that film or looking at uh, The Deer Hunter and how Asians are portrayed in that film or even Full Metal Jacket. And ever since then, I've just been hyper-aware when I see an Asian character in film how they're being portrayed. And there are certain films that just really lit me on fire. <laughs> so things like uh, Lethal Weapon 4. You know, Lethal Weapon 2, we had the South Africans who were, you know, doing a lot of bad things at the time, uh, apartheid and, and all that. And that was fine to vilify the 
South Africans at that time. And then a few years later, we get Lethal Weapon 4, and now we have Chinese people. And there's just this real... I don't know. I, I felt bad for Jet Li being in this film. For, in that film, I felt bad for all the Asian actors in there. And there was just this real kind of, to me, anti-Asian thing going on, especially fucking Mel Gibson with his lines in there about... Have something to eat. Give you the police discount. Fly lies? Fly lies. It is fry rice, you click. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It, it just turned my stomach to see how these Asian peoples were being portrayed. I, I feel like those are very nicely dated, uh, stereotypical Asian portrayals. The whole mixing up of the L with the R's, I don't know how that type of jokes uh, come into play in recent um, cinema and s- recent titles. And I think they're representative of a, of a you know, a, 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 the yesteryear, if you will. I mean, the Lethal Weapon was made in the 90s. I don't know if there are films like that nowadays that, that have the same approach to Asian people's accents and whatnot. Lethal Weapon 4 was 1998, which, yeah, okay, it's almost 20 years old, but it just really struck in my craw. And what really kind of motivated me to even put this episode together was when I saw Batman versus Superman recently. And there was this character in here who was, um, what's her name, Mercy Graves, I think it is. And she's this... The only, as far as I remember, the only Asian character, I think she's got one line in the film, and she just portrays this stereotype that we see of a lot of Asian actors called, quote-unquote, the inscrutable Asian, where they just hang out around the periphery, they're there for nefarious purposes, and that was pretty much her whole thing. And I think, she, like I said, she had one line, maybe, and then she dies. She's just completely wasted, and it's just like... What was she doing here? Why was she here? I know she has more of a presence in the cartoon, apparently, but she just stuck out like a sore thumb to me in this movie. And it, like as soon as I saw her, I was like, oh, well, that woman's evil. And I know that she's evil because, A, she's a woman in a Zack Snyder film, and B, she's Asian. And it was just like this red sign of, look at this evil character. And before I even knew that she worked for Lex Luthor, it was like, oh yeah, this, this woman's really bad news. That's really interesting that you, you instinctively think this woman is evil just because she's Asian. Um, I think in the film, The Slanted Screen, they, they also pointed that out. The, the actor who played Mortal Kombat, he said that the, the roles that were offered to him is you're either wimpy, nerdy men, or you're a villain. And he always chose to play a villain because he has balls. He said that point blank, because, and I do tend to agree. I mean, the, the whole Asian female stereotypical roles offered are the dragon lady or the demure, helpless, quiet servant type, the servant type, essentially. Yeah, kind of like, uh, what was that? Tra- the, for the original transporter, I believe that the woman that he was saving was uh, an Asian woman who was very servile to her father. Yes, uh, it was a Taiwanese actress, Su Chi, who won many, many awards, but her first, I guess her this was her first role in Hollywood. She plays a you know subservient female. 
So it's interesting that I was so pissed off about Batman versus Superman, and then while that was brewing, uh, well, actually, nobody seemed to, to give a shit about that at all, and I really didn't read anything about how wasted this Mercy Graves character was, and just, it, it's almost me asking kind of the opposite question of what everybody else is asking. I'm like, why is this evil woman played by an Asian, whereas so many people right now, this this, this new controversy that came up while I was putting this episode together is why are these Asian characters being played by white people? And these are the good guys. You know, I guess it's okay to have an Asian bad guy and find an Asian actor to play bad guys. Hey, no problem. But now, over the last couple of weeks, there's been this whole brouhaha about uh, Scarlett Johansson and Tilda Swinton playing primarily Asian characters or originally Asian characters, and here they are, these two white women. Well, I think over there is a matter of box office draw, because I think with the studio, especially for a film like Ghost in a Shell, which is a very niche anime, I think they were worried that if they were to cast an Asian female, they wouldn't be able to draw in the audiences. And which is too bad because I think what they're forgetting is a Japanese actress such as Rinko Kikuchi would have been great in the role. I mean, she was one of the leads in Pacific Rim. And she, I think she was also the bad Asian in uh, 47 Ronin, because that was another movie where you had to cast a white guy as the lead. I mean, nothing against that film. I actually kind of like 47 Ronin, and I like the way that they play with the race stuff in there. But it was interesting that 47 Ronin had to have a white guy in it and had to have Keanu Reeves in it. Do you think they have to have Keanu Reeves because he's a recognizable name? Possibly. I I know that that movie failed pretty terrifically, so I don't think (laughs) anything would have necessarily saved it, be it a white actor or even an Asian actor. And I know you you were mentioning before the show this whole idea of Max Landis coming out and saying, hey, listen, the reason why these people are being cast, these white people are being cast, is because there are no bankable Asian stars. And if you think that, you know, there's any other reason, you know, you're, you're crazy basically is what he says in his eloquent Max Landis ranting (laughs) on YouTube type of way. There are no A-list female Asian celebrities right now on an international level. They're, 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 it's, it's infuriating. There used to be in the nineties, there used to be diversity in our A-list actors. Jackie Chan and Jet Li were famous at the same time. They could both get movies made. We don't have that guy anymore. We don't even have Lucy Liu anymore. We, we don't even have like one you can name. And that's not the fault of the movie industry, really. I mean, but then what about John Cho? He was in Star Trek and he, you know, the new Star Trek's coming out. He was in Hero and Kumar that did really well. He was on a uh, NBC TV series called Selfie. You know, what about actors like John Cho, who, you know, theoretically had box office success? And can open a film. Well, I can see him opening a small independent comedy like Harold and Kumar, but I don't think that the powers that be could see him opening the next whatever. You know, you sent me this great thing about a hashtag that's going around now called Starring John Cho. And on the website there, there's kind of re casting these posters with what would it be if John Cho was in something like London Has Fallen or The Martian. I mean, God, I would love to see The Martian again with John Cho in that role, and I don't see why that couldn't have been 
an actor of his caliber because he's a great actor. I've loved everything that I've seen him in, and he can play comedy and drama. So I know that it's not just a limitation of his ability. Is the audience ready to have Asian men or Asian female to star a major Hollywood film? Because if the answer is yes, then Hollywood would cater to that, I would think, and start casting Asians in these films. The other thing that was kind of irking me this year is the Oscars and just this whole idea of Oscars so white. And there was this big backlash, I almost said blacklash, against the Oscars about how there were no... I don't want to say there are no minorities that were up for these major awards. It really seemed to focus on there are no African-Americans in these categories. And it really almost seemed like, fuck you, any other minority. You know, fuck you, any other ethnicity. Because it was just like, not only was it just like really concentrating on the blackness or the lack of blackness to the Oscars, but then that Chris Rock and Ali G or Sasha Baron Cohen are making fun of Asian people during the broadcast, I'm like, what the fuck is that? It's like, had these jokes been made by somebody else about black people, there would have been riding in the streets. And it's just like, no, no, it's fine. We're okay to make fun of Asians. Why is it still okay to make fun of Asians? How come there is no Oscar for them very hardworking little yellow people with tiny dongs? You know... Dominions. You're absolutely right. I think in the film, The Scientist Screen, they even mention about how Asians aren't invisible because we don't see ourselves represented on the screen. So I guess the whole discussion of uh, Oscar Still White only talk about the black and whiteness of actors and actresses is reflective of that. I mean, I think I was reading a, a stat and that only 1% of the actors and actresses you see on screen are Asians. I guess that's why, you know, there is no discussion over more Asians on, on TV. I mean, I think there are more discussions about Hispanics more than Asians, which is really too bad because, you know, there are Asian actors that are, are talented, but they're not getting the representation or the roles that they, they deserve. As far as I know, there are a lot of Asian people in North America. But I think it's one of those things where middle America, I guess middle North America, there aren't a lot of Asians. So if you don't see Asians around you, you're not going to think about Asians on the silver screen. The slanted screen brings up so many good points. One of the things I did mention before that it primarily or, or exclusively focuses on Asian men. And I appreciated the way that the people that were being interviewed were talking about the way that uh, Asian men on screen are, as you said, either villains or kind of neutered, and they're still the butt of jokes. You know, just this whole idea of like how many Asian people in America and in Canada were referred to as long duck dong when it came to, you know, growing up in the 80s, and just what a horrible stereotype that was and everything, and just how it was okay to make fun of this this character in this film, and he became the butt of so many jokes. What's happening, hot stuff? I guess Asians are butt of jokes. I think one of the, the interviewees even said, taking away our sexuality is one way of getting back at our perceived greatness, I guess, right? And that I think in the film, they were talking about Replacement Killer, where they interviewed the producer. In the original version, the villains were white, but the studio came back to the producer and said, you cannot make this film unless you change the villains to Asians, because 
they cannot accept a, a world or a scenario where an Asian man can overpower, you know, white villains. Like that, that doesn't work. By neutering them, it's a way to compensate for a perceived threat that Asian people have on white America. Yeah, the other one that got me from the film was when they're talking about Romeo must die and the way that it tested poorly when Jet Li ends up with the girl at the end. Yes. Then they had to change it. Even though it's a remake of Romeo and Juliet, they have to change it so that Romeo doesn't end up with Juliet because it wasn't acceptable for this Asian guy to be going out with this African-American woman. That was interesting for me, and I learned about it in the slanted screen, was that the Thin Man Chu character uh, was played by a white person in yellow face. And this white person in yellow face had magical power and they overpower white women. And that the viewers were okay with this because they know that it's a white person dressed up in an Asian face. Which I thought was really interesting that if you have an Asian playing a Fu Manchu character, does that diminish the power that they have? Or, or the audience's perception of the power that they have? And I don't know if we actually got to see that. Well, maybe in, in films like um, Big Trouble in Little China, where there's a Fu Manchu-esque character. Which the white guy has to save everybody from. <laughs> That's Kurt Russell. Come on. <laughs> and are you who I think you are? I am Emperor of the Saifan, Grand Master of the Seven Sons, graduate of the University of Indiana Medical School, PhD, DDS, and Doctor of Veterinary Medicine. Yeah, I think one of the only good things that I can say about that um, movie version of The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is that they changed the Fu Manchu-type villain from the book into a white guy. It didn't make sense the way that they changed it. It didn't, didn't make sense for so many reasons and so many things that they changed from the adaptation. But that was the one thing where when I went into the movie I was just like, oh Jesus, am I gonna have to see, you know, a white guy or even an Asian guy, you know, really hamming it up and having the big mustache and everything. And luckily that wasn't the case. I that's the only bullet that you were able to dodge with that film. You know, I, I read another thing where Catherine Hepburn played a Chinese woman in Dragon Sea and she I believe won an Oscar for that. And to this day more white actresses have won Oscars for playing Asian characters than Asian actresses have won the Oscars, which just blows my mind. Yeah, that kind of speaks to that whole systemic uh, racism thing that really just isn't really addressed that much. It's just like, well, it, it's all right. You know, it, it, they're Asian people. You know, there's just there's not enough good Asian actors, and so we need to have these white people cast in these roles. But then when you come to a thing like I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry from 2007, where you've got Rob Schneider giving – I mean, I think that if Mickey Rooney saw Rob Schneider's performance in I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, he'd be like, yeah, that's a little much. That's a little much. Do you have the links? Yeah. Now, the links are a symbol of eternity. Because in the link, there is no beginning. There is no end. Because it's a circle. It's a promise of your love forever, together, Beautiful. for all eternity. So does it really matter who actually watched that film? It's those idiots that go to see freaking Adam Sandler films. The one thing that they don't need is negative racial portrayals of people. It's not like a dead water buffalo. But I think if you have actual portrayal, like like neutral portrayal, where they're Asian actors are being, 
that might just blow their mind a little bit. And that might, I don't know, hurt the box office because apparently the box office is what matters at the end of the day. But, but in the film, uh, the scientist screen, they were talking about the film. There was an Asian actor, I forget his name. He was in, um, Dante's peak and he was so happy that they didn't, um, racialize his character because he was a volcano expert. He was just a person who happened to be an Asian who was a volcano expert and it didn't have anything to do with his race. And there was no acknowledgement that he's Asian. And I think that's what films should be, that people should be cast for roles and they shouldn't call into attention what their ethnicity is because they're just people playing a role on a movie. Even when it comes to like those stupid Adam Sandler movies, you know, it's like, okay, well now we've got Shaquille O'Neal and um, Terry Crews as part of his regular filmmaking people. And it's just like, how many black jokes are being made about this? Can't they just be two actors or two people rather than two black actors and two black people? It's just like, why does it always have to get brought up? You know, and I'm trying to think of this. There was a really stupid show that was out a few years ago called Dads. And I remember there was an Asian woman that was on there and she it was almost like a, a, a white guy sex fantasy kind of portrayal of this Asian character where she just like dressed up almost like an anime character. Well, you're like your dads are American. My dad beat me with a math book till I was 16. <laughs> well, see, there you go. That, that, that's exactly why we need your help on Friday when we pitch to the Chinese investors. Well, because of my intimate knowledge of Chinese culture? No, because you're going to dress up like a sexy Asian schoolgirl. <laughs> I can't do that. Oh, you can. Sure you can. Here, uh, practice with me. <clears throat> I was just like, what the fuck is going on with this thing? I just couldn't believe that, you know, again, people just seem to be okay with this. Here it is on national television. I'm just like, this is one of the most horrible portrayals of a character that I've seen in the longest time. And I feel so bad, you know, like these Asian actors have such a a parody of roles that, you know, if you want to pay your rent, you know, you got You got to play the role and it doesn't matter like what it is. So I, I feel for the actors that are having to portray these roles as well. Going back to, you know, resorting to these stereotypes, you know, and, and, and thinking this is what the audience uh, like, it's just, a, it's when it comes down to it, it's lazy writing. You're not, you're resorting to shorthands and you're not really developing the character. They become two-dimensional punchlines for the Lee actor. I mean, it's really unfortunate. I read an article about Margaret Cho. During her time, she had, uh, in the 90s, she had a TV show called All American Girl. The studio, ABC, had problem with her portrayal of herself. I mean, it's based on her story. So they hire an expert to come in to teach her how to be more Asian, which is ludicrous. <laughs> But then fast forward 10, 20 years later, we have a show like Fresh Off Boat, which is refreshing because it's telling the immigrant story through Asian eyes and it's doing really well. And, and, you know, perhaps this is a way for ABC to quote unquote redeem itself because it is the same network that brought uh, All American Girl. Yeah, you talked about this whole idea of like not being able to open a movie with an Asian lead actor or actress and it's and there were shows like all american girl with an asian actress at the lead of it at the heart of this thing but then when i try to really 
think about other Asian actors who could open a movie, they don't roll off the tongue that that easily for me. And most of the ones that I think of are coming from the Hong Kong cinema. So when I think of, of Asian actors that could open up a film, I'm thinking of like Jet Li or Donnie Yen. Or when I think about women, I'm just like, well, I guess there's Lucy Liu. But it's 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 difficult and I feel kind of ashamed when I think about the lack of knowledge that just pops to mind when it's like, oh, well, that would be the perfect guy for this particular role. You know, and, and I'm glad that, like, you know, the Star Wars universe might be redeeming itself here pretty soon by putting Donnie Yen into a movie, though it seems like he's kind of playing a Zatoichi character. Thank God that he's not playing one of these uh, Nemoidians from uh, episode one, two, and three, where they sounded like Charlie Chan and they kind of look like Charlie Chan as well. I mean, talk about a, a racist portrayal, even though George Lucas would tell me that I'm completely off base with that one. Didn't they have the guys from the raid in um, the new Star Wars? But I will say that the scene was way too brief, unfortunately, but I was glad to see them show up. Because you would think that with the influence that the Chinese box office has, that this was you know, there will be more Asian actresses or actors portrayed in these Hollywood films. Because you would think that if China is the biggest box office market, the Chinese audience wants to see more people like themselves. I think in uh, Iron Man 3, was it, that they had a, they included the scene where an Asian actress, um, Fan Bingbing, I think that's her name, she essentially saves Iron Man in a heart surgery operation but that scene was entirely cut out for the North American audience. But then again, I have serious issues when you know the money influences the content. Was it Looper where they were changing some things for the content for China? And I, yeah, I don't necessarily like that the Chinese box office can demand that these changes are made. But then if that does bring about a change in maybe kind of the racial makeup of some of these films, I'm kind of okay with that. I want to at least see what happens with that. I don't know if that sounds bad or not. See, I don't know. Like I, I also feel conflicted about this because I don't like when money influences the content, but then you have a film like mission impossible five where you know, the person who was administrating the lie detector test was an Asian female, and you sort of wonder why she's there in the first place. And then you realize, oh, the movie is funded by Alibaba, who is, which is like the Amazon of China. You know, if, if they're funding the, the film, they want, you know, at least to have one Asian actress in the film. So they kind of stick out like a sore thumb. It's almost like the Benetton complex where, if the studio acknowledges a, a problem with diversity and, and showcases diversity, the audience will recognize its efforts and it just becomes our joint. Going back to the Oscar controversy, like when people are saying, oh my God, you know, there's no African-American actors included in here. And I'm thinking, yeah, and there's no other you know, ethnicities that are, are in this race either. And I was just thinking, well, what are we going to do to fix that? I mean, is next year's Oscar going to look like a Benetton ad? Is it going to be like, okay, and the best black actor is this, and the best Chinese actor is this, and the best, you know, like it can get ridiculous very quickly. But at the same time, do we need that? Do we need to push the, 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 the idea of making people include more than just the white guys and the white ladies in the the awards. I mean, I think it just has to be organic. 
I mean, if you look at the film The Martian, there are prominent Asian characters in the film. I mean, the guy from JPL is Asian. Granted, it might be based on real. Um, maybe the head of JPL is Asian. I don't know because I don't. I, I didn't do the research on it. But it was a very organic. Uh, inclusion of, of different ethnicities all working together for science to bring back, you know, to bring someone home, right? So, you know, they didn't focus on his race. He just happens to be an Asian scientist. And I think that's their approach that uh, we should have. Yes, that did feel very natural to me. And it didn't feel like, you know, too many of these other films where it's just like, okay, if there's a crew of scientists that are going to a planet and one of them is black, the black guy's not coming home, you know, or if they're Asian or whatever, you can pick out who's going to die first based on their ethnicity. Which is all very ridiculous. I mean, these are tropes that work in the past. And I'm just hoping or I'm being hopeful that, you know, these tropes are no longer the, the tropes that, that, that exist for future films, that actors should be actors and they shouldn't be you know selected for the particular role just because of their ethnicity. So let's go ahead. We're going to take a break and play an interview with Jeff Adachi, the director of The Slanted Screen. I'm a filmmaker based out of San Francisco, and I also happen to serve as the elected public defender in San Francisco. I don't think I've ever talked to a public defender before. <laughs> That's usually a good thing. <laughs> what came first for you, the law or film? The law. I was interested in becoming a public defender because I wanted to be a, a lawyer for the people. And I enjoyed criminal law, and so I found myself right at home. And later, I have always had an interest in, in the arts and film. I love to watch everything and anything. And so... I decided to uh, make a documentary film, and my first film was a film called The Slanted Screen. And why the subject of uh, Asians in film? How did that come about? I had been producing a program which was sort of like an Asian-American Oscars award here in San Francisco, so I became acquainted with many actors, and it struck me that they were in this perpetual catch-22, where they had to play these horrible roles, uh, very demeaning roles like waiters and laundrymen. And at the same time, uh, when they play these roles in order to feed themselves, they were criticized by their own communities. So I thought it would be interesting to have a film about their experiences, and that's how the slanted screen came about. So I talked to not only uh, Asian American male actors, but also people in the in the casting world, uh, other uh, you know filmmakers and directors to talk about the struggle, uh, the unique struggle of uh, Asian American uh, men. And part of it was to explore the the stereotyping. If you go back to Fu Manchu and even before then, you'll, you'll see that along with this yellow peril, which was part of the effort to exclude Chinese from the West Coast, that there were these stereotypic characters like Ming the Merciless and Fu Manchu and these villains that have persisted in American pop culture. And of course, you have the stereotype of the Asian nerd from Sixteen Candles, Long Duck Dong. You have uh, these sort of recurring uh, figures uh, in in film and television where Asian Americans 
are portrayed as nerds and geeks and and there aren't a lot of positive portrayals of Asian American uh, men and the same is true for Asian American women uh, and but I, I, ch- I chose to, to focus my efforts on talking about male images. What was interesting to me, though, is that if you look back, really the beginning of film in this country, silent films, you have stars like Sasue Hayakawa, who was a screen star idol, uh, even before Rudolph Valentino. And uh, here was a, a man who you know, was born in Japan, wasn't a native speaker, and he rose to prominence in silent films. And he was later nominated for an Oscar for his uh, role in the Bridge Over the River Kwai. And you have at various points in time uh, Asian American men who do become uh, leading actors, like James Shigeta, but they also are very limited in terms of the, the kind of roles that they could they could uh, uh, get. Um, James Shigeta was a, a leading uh, man in the 1950s and, and 60s. He was in The Flower Drum Song, The Crimson Kimono, uh, a lot of really great films uh, of that era. And then he sort of disappeared. And you see him occasionally in Beverly Hills 90210 or shows like that, but then they pretty much would disappear after a few years. And it's because you didn't have uh, many roles uh, that that they could play, and it was very hard for them to survive. So, when I made this land of screen, the goal that I had was to try to shake up Hollywood. And so, we actually planned a screening at the Samuel Goldwyn Theater at the Motion Picture Academy, right, the home of the Oscars. And we did a, a filming. F- uh, we we did a screening for a thousand producers, directors, actors sponsored by all the guilds, and uh, we were successful in getting our message across, at least that night. And uh, I I, I just thought that that to make a film about the fact that you don't have positive roles for Asians uh, was something that needed to be done. Unfortunately, while a lot has changed, a lot hasn't. Uh, you, you still don't see a lot of Asian Americans in leading roles. You might think of Sandra Oh or Lucy Liu, but those roles and actors are few and far between. The Asians uh, have not seen the sort of acceptance in the film industry that you see, for example, with black actors today. And it's 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 sort of for Asian Americans, although we might have had success in other areas, if you're not seen as a part of American pop culture, you don't exist. And in the case of Asian Americans, if you were an alien in outer space watching TV, you would not see many Asian faces. Now, it's something that is changing slowly. You have uh, serials now like uh, Fresh Off the Boat and a handful of others, uh, but we still have a long way to go. And part of what we tried to do in the slanted screen is to demonstrate that we've had this history of struggling for positive portrayals in film and television, and that we were trying to to, to encourage uh, Asians to become actors, to get involved both in front of and behind the camera, because that's so important to empowerment. Now, when you were growing up and you're looking for 
Asian faces on TV or at the movies, who were some of the ones that you identified with? I grew up in the 60s, so there was Hop Singh and then later Sulu and Star Trek, and that was about it. When you would see an Asian on TV, it'd be embarrassing. It'd be an, an Asian who was speaking in, in broken English and uh, you know had some menial role. And when other people only saw Asians in that capacity, they would assume that it was true of everyone. So there'd be constant joking and bullying and you know all the things that come along with that. And I began to think that a large part of the stereotyping of Asian Americans came from television because that's what people knew. People would see one Asian person on television and assume that all Asian people were that way. Because we don't have the variation in characters, stories, when it comes to Asian Americans, that's what leads to stereotyping. Because if you only see a hop sing or you know a waiter as representative of of Asian Americans, that's what you think uh, the entire world is. And so, if you are underrepresented or worse misrepresented in film and television, unfortunately, that's going to carry over to your real life. Um, you know, take take a show like ER. I think they had one Asian on it, Ming Na, and. Everyone knows, or most people know, there's a lot of Asians who are doctors or are in the scientists, but you would not know that uh, from watching ER. So when you talk about the disconnect between the reality and what you see on, on film and television, many people don't make that distinction. They'll look at what they see on TV and they'll see an Asian person in a stereotypic role and the assumption will be that that's true of all Asians. And the stereotypes that most Asians are known for are uh, being nerdy, uh, being smart in math. And we saw that in the Oscars, right? With Chris Rock emceeing uh, the Oscars, the big issue was supposed to be race. Well, he ended up having a skit about uh, showing Asian kids as, as accountants. And that backfired because a lot of Asians don't like that characterization because uh, it is a stereotype. And it was a stereotype at their expense. Now, there's a lot of discussion about what's politically correct versus, you know, what is really hurtful. And, you know, certainly in comedy and entertainment, you're going to make fun of people. That's part of it. But when you're talking about stereotypes, there's a danger there because when you're making fun of somebody because of their race or because of the way they might be perceived based on stereotypes that are held by mainstream society, uh, that can result in hate crimes. It does. It does result in, in some cases, people being hurt. So we have to be very careful. When we talk about racist stereotyping in this country, and you know, there's a long history of that. If you look at, for example, blackface actors, uh, there was the same thing for Asians and what they called yellow face actors. We had white actors who would be made up as Asians and they would play uh, Asian roles. And they would play them in a way uh, that was very stereotypic. And so if you saw one of those portrayals, and we saw this with uh, Charlie Chan, uh, a lot of the evil incarnations like Fu Manchu and, and uh, 
others, uh, it created really this idea that Asians were here to invade the United States, that you couldn't trust Asian men, that they were villains and intent on on destroying the world. If you look at the early James Bond movies, you'll see Dr. No and this whole litany of bad guys uh, that sort of represented at that time the Asian threat, that there was this looming threat from Asia that they were going to blow up the world. And you see that reflected in films, and certainly in today's era, you see Muslims, you know, portrayed a certain way based on, you know, these these fears that people have, and and that sells tickets and it uh, brings people to the theaters. So we have to be careful when we're dealing with stereotypes because there can be real life consequences. Now you brought up Hopsing and Sulu as two two Asian faces that you were seeing when you were a kid. Those two guys seem so completely different. How did you see Sulu as far as being a, role, a possible role model? Sulu was cool. First, he was in Star Trek, which was a great series. And secondly, he was allowed to drive the Enterprise. So that kind of shattered the stereotype of Asians not being able to drive. Sulu still had, George Takei still had very limited scope in the role as, as Sulu. He didn't have a love interest. I think there was one time where he, you know, got infected and 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 you know suddenly uh was interested in Uhuru. You, you do have, you know, sort of these storylines that occasionally deviate, but by and large, uh, you know, Sulu was this secular uh, Sulu was this, you know, sexless uh character who didn't have any love interest and, you know, kind of was limited to driving the Enterprise. Um, so you didn't have characters who were seen as real people. And I think that's the problem with stereotyping, is that when you present people as one-dimensional people, you don't get a sense that they're human. Like Even looking at The Godfather, for example, you have Michael Corleone, who's a bad character. He's a gangster, uh, but at the same time, you understand that he's trying to fight for his family and power control in the mafia. And when you see Asians portrayed as gangsters, it's often just a one-dimensional portrayal of somebody who just like walks around with a gun and shoots people for no reason. What is troublesome is because you don't have the wide representation of Asian characters in film and television, you're not used to uh, seeing uh, Asians presented in a positive light. And so you're going to see Asians presented as the butt of a joke or, you know, even we saw this in the Oscars when Chris Rock was uh, emceeing and came up with this joke about these little kids who were accountants, smart accountants who were, were going to keep track of who won the Academy Award. And, you know, people did speak out. And I, I think it's refreshing that you have directors like Ang Lee and others who, uh, when something happens in Hollywood, they will write a letter or they will, won't be afraid to make their views known. And we have to have more of that. Not to say that we need to protest every time there's a, a character or something that offends us on TV. Um, but we do, this is America. You do have to speak out. You do have to register your objection or you'll be ignored. 
So how did a, an actor like Sasui Hayakawa go from being such a huge box office draw to not necessarily... Cause you know, obviously, when you watch early films of the silent actor, Sasui Hayakawa, he was seen uh, as a matinee idol. There were primarily white women who would go to these matinees and these were silent films then. And they would absolutely fall in love with Sesu Hayakawa. Here's an Asian man from Japan, educated uh, at the University of Chicago, decides to stay, and uh, he starts acting in some small plays in, in L.A., and suddenly he becomes a matinee idol to the extent that he's not only starring in movies but producing his own movies as well. So it's a strange phenomenon that someone like a Sasui Hayakawa would become a silent star uh, matinee idol, you know, in the 1920s and 30s, and would even go on to be the first Asian to be nominated for a Academy Award. So there are aberrations out there. A lot of it is explained by the times. I mean, when Sasui Hayakawa rose to stardom, there was this fascination with Asia and Asian art and history. And, of course, when there are wars that follow with Asia, then suddenly the uh, Asians are villainized and they're seen as dangerous characters and you get this whole uh, other you know, sort of stereotype of Asians out to uh, assassinate the, 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 the white race. And certainly there's a lot of storylines that follow that, uh, in, uh, particularly around wartime. If you look at, you know, films in uh, World War One or World War Two, uh, you know, of course, Asians uh, were portrayed very negatively. And suddenly you had an actor like Sesu Hayakawa, who had been a star in his own right, suddenly only playing villains because at the time... Uh, there were hostilities between Japan and the United States, ultimately leading to uh, the declaration of war. And what the result of that is, is that they need an Asian actor to, to play the bad guy, to play the, you know, the, the, the general or the soldier who's wreaking havoc. And that's what he played. That's what Sisuo Hayakawa ended up uh, playing mostly is... Uh, bad Asians during war. So you have an actor who was uh, nominated for an Academy Award still limited in the roles that he could play. Was there ever an Asian actor, or who was the first, I should probably ask, where you actually were able to kind of admire that character and, and admire the actor who was playing that character? Bruce Lee was huge, because here you had... An Asian actor, there's no question that he was Asian. He had black hair, and and uh, he looked like an Asian. He wasn't like David Carradine. And yet he was able to rise to stardom. Uh, he fought. Uh, you know, he was on TV series uh, here in the United States, and then he was rejected for the rule of uh, Kane in the TV serial Kung Fu. And so he went back to Hong Kong, made the Fist of Fury uh, film and then rose to, to stardom. Now, Bruce Lee was really a hero to all of us. I was a young teenager growing up in Sacramento 
And when the Bruce Lee movies came out, I mean, he was our hero. He was somebody who we could look up to. He was a kick-ass kung fu uh, martial artist uh, who was able to navigate not only martial arts, but the Hollywood system. And his movie, uh, Enter the Dragon, I think really changed the entire landscape of action movies. Uh, the Kung Fu star was really born with Bruce Lee. I mean, there were movies like, uh, the, there were movies, Kung Fu movies that came out before Bruce Lee, but nothing like the caliber of fighting that Bruce Lee brought. And you might say, well, he wasn't the best actor, and, and that's probably true, but he had a screen presence that was magnetic, and his films were probably amongst the most popular films uh, of that era, of the 70s, and they still persist today. I mean, Bruce Lee's martial arts films uh, you know, are, are still being watched and talked about. Now, I still see... Asian stereotypes all the time. You talked about the Chris Rock thing, but even just, well, even just today, going back to Yellowface, here comes photos of Scarlett Johansson. In the 10 years since you made the slanted screen, how have you seen things either change or stay the same? When we made the slanted screen, the hope was that we would see more Asian faces in film and on television. While that has happened, both in reality TV as well as you know, some of the series like Fresh Off the Boat, you're still not seeing Asians represented in the way that they are in real life. You're not seeing Asian romantic leads, although if you look at the population of China, we probably reproduce more than anyone. The fact is, is that in American society, being Asian is still not seen as being equal. Uh, you're still going to be questioned, are you really an American? And part of that is because we're, for the most part, empty, you know, from the silver screen. Uh, it's changing, though. We have directors like Justin Lin, who is directing this, this, now the Star Trek series. And these are directors who have the power to greenlight uh, a movie. Um, I like... Uh, you know, I, I know many other executives in Hollywood now who are Asian Americans and are trying to push for more worlds, but we have a long way to go. I mean, the bottom color in Hollywood is green, and unless you can produce a film that's going to bring in tens of millions of dollars, uh, they're not going to put an Asian in it. So part of our challenge is to demonstrate that we have a definable audience, and we do. Asians do go to movies. They don't necessarily go to movies with other Asians in it, and that's something that we have to own and, and try to change. That Once Hollywood recognizes that you have a constituent that is going to be paying money to see your film, and certainly with black films you see this, that's why these Tyler Perry uh, films and other films that are coming out are successful, because they do have an audience. And... It's an audience that Hollywood is prepared uh, to continue to make movies to attract. You talk about Asian men, you know, all the way from, you know, I don't know, the Philippines, all the way up to the tip top of China or whatever. Do you see any issues when it comes to things like where it's Chinese people playing 
uh, Japanese people versus obviously it's better than white people playing Japanese people. But how is that kind of perceived? Well, it's interesting because when you look at Asian Americans, we're not one big generic group. We're as different as Europeans. And at the same time, often when we're cast in roles, you'll have a Japanese person cast as a Vietnamese or a Chinese person cast as a, as a Filipino. And it is quite obvious to someone who knows the differences uh, that there's some miscasting that's going on. But this is something that, you know, Hollywood has, has long uh, been guilty of. I mean, you know, and it's not to say that you have to be Filipino to be cast as a Filipino in a role, but it is insulting when you see Scarlett Johansson cast as this character who's supposed to be Asian. And why isn't an Asian actor in that role? Uh, the, the other phenomenon that's very common in, in Hollywood is that the characters are often changed or originally written as as minority characters and, and you know they get whitewashed and they're going to be played by a white actor. Uh, so this is something that occurs uh, with regularity. You know the whole idea of of blind casting works only to an extent though because if you are casting people and you yourself have a certain idea that, oh, the leading lady and the leading man are going to be white and that's the only thing that you see, that's who's going to be cast. So when we're talking about roles that are meaningful uh, to people of color, we have to take into consideration you know, that we may need to hire a Filipino actor to pay a role meant for a Filipino and, and not be afraid of that. You mentioned uh, Fresh Off the Boat and some of the reality shows. Do you see what other positive uh, role models do you see in today's uh, entertainment industry? We are seeing more Asian faces, whether you're talking about cable TV, show like Dexter, um, to mainstream television. Now, you're not going to see Asians on The Bachelor for some reason, very few. But at least people are getting used to seeing our faces when they're watching TV in their living room. And that's a big part of it is just familiarity. All the studies have showed that the more familiar you are, the more comfortable you are with a particular type of person, you may think, well, you know what? I don't have any black friends. Well, part of it is that you're not feeling comfortable with having black friends and you don't seek out people who are black friends. Uh, so, you know, when we talk about diversity in this modern age, it necessitates a discussion of what you are doing in order to ensure that your children uh, live in a diverse world or that they're exposed to different cultures and people. And it's a lot of work. It takes, well, time and effort to truly live in a world where you fully appreciate uh, the diversity of, of the different people in our society. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, your next documentary, the one about Jack Sue? Yeah, I made a film about an actor named Girl Suzuki. And when I made The Slanted Screen, I was familiar with Jack Sue, and that was uh, Girl Suzuki's stage name. And I wondered, why did he change his name? Because Sue is a Chinese name, not a Japanese name, and Goro Suzuki was Japanese. So that's what got me started on You Don't Know Jack Sue, and that was the, the title of the film. 
And I was fascinated to learn his story that he uh, was a entertainer and singer from a very young age, from a teenager. He used to perform in, in nightclubs. Uh, he was interned during World War II with 120,000 other Japanese Americans. And he was released early from the internment camp at uh, Topaz uh, in order to perform in nightclubs in Ohio. And so I actually went back and it turned out that, that here, here he had America at war with Japan and the, the, the Japanese Americans had been interned in, in camps. And at the same time, Jack Sue, who was then known as Goro Suzuki, was headlining in nightclubs singing. But they had a problem. They couldn't use his real name because no one would go see a Japanese since the war was still going on. And instead, he went by the name of Jack Sue. And so that's how he got his name. But, you know, what was what, the, the, working on the Jack Sue film took me on a fascinating journey because he was a vaudeville performer, had performed all over the United States in the 40s and the 50s. Uh, he even performed uh, with Joey Bishop in Chicago. So you had this very talented performer, singer, who later became uh, an actor, and he was the first Asian American to be featured in a series, a series called Valentine's Day with uh, Tony Franciosa. And he was the first, Jack Sue was the first uh, non-African American signed to Motown Records. And so we were able to find the song that he <laughs> recorded with them. It's a great song. He is, uh, for once in my life, that was later released by Stevie Wonder, and Jack Sue was one of the first to perform it. Um, and then, of course, he went on to star in the Flower Drum Song, and then Barney Miller, who he played uh, Lieutenant Nick Yamana, who, you know, was a detective at this very diverse police station and it was about the trials and tribulations of of uh, being a cop so Jack Sue to me represented sort of one of the pioneers that came up the hard way really had to fight in order to be recognized for his talent and although he died in 1979 and I made my film uh, 30 years later it was still a story worth telling so yeah, we made that film. We got it on national PBS as we did with our first film. Uh, so that was great. You talked a little bit about the screening of the slanted screen. How was it received outside of that? Well, the slanted screen uh, was an effort to present Asian Americans and their treatment in the media. So I wasn't sure how it would be received. I, I thought maybe there'd be some hostility towards it. People would say, stop complaining just because you're Asian doesn't mean you're entitled to you know, win an Oscar, for example. But what was very affirming with the slanted screen is both Asians and non-Asians who saw it understood that it was a film about how misportraying somebody can hurt and how negative portrayals influence us all. So in that sense, it had a universal message that although it was about Asian-American men, you could take the stereotypes there and apply it to anyone. And we succeeded by 
getting this hour-long documentary out there to the world, really. We, sh- we showed it uh, overseas as well as here. And people responded positively to its message that we need to be more careful in stereotyping people. And we use comedy, and it wasn't, you know, sort of a, just a serious, serious documentary. We wanted people to understand um, that there are actors who were struggling to present positive portrayals of Asian Americans and that this is something that needed to be supported. So in, in that way, I hope that the slanted screen contributed to, to the growing interest uh, of Asian Americans in the arts and entertainment. And that if we are truly to be a free, independent, and respected people, you have to be something in pop culture and film and television. And what are you working on these days? Anything? Well, other than my regular job as a as the public defender of San Francisco, representing about twenty thousand people a year with my staff, I I just completed a, a new film called Racial Facial. It's an eight and a half minute short film about race in America, and we uh, it's the first short film I've done. But the challenge was is to take the whole history of racism in the U.S. and put it in eight and a half minutes, and that's what we've done. So I developed this film as a tool to show in the schools to get kids talking about the problems of racism, how it affects their lives, and what solutions are. So I've been having uh, a ball just showing the film uh, to kids and getting their reaction to it. And we wanted to do it as a short film so we have enough time to – have dialogue about it, which is, I think, the real value of this kind of film, where you're able to see a presentation of, in this case, race in America, and then you're asked, what are you going to do about it? How can you change things? So our website is racialfacial.org, and you know, if people are interested in getting a copy of the film, I'd be happy to send it to them um, if they're uh, going to show it in a school. How on earth do you balance being the public defender or a public defender in San Francisco with making these films? Well, being a trial lawyer is a lot like being a filmmaker. You figure out the story you want to tell, find the witnesses or subjects, interview them, and then put it together uh, in a compelling uh, visual. So it's, I, I take a lot from my, my luring work uh, and watching movies. Right? Anybody who watches a lot of movies uh, can tell you about making movies because uh, if if you're really uh, a student of movies as I am, um, you notice things. And what I've tried to do in my movies is sort of take the best of what I've tried to do as a filmmaker is, is to take the best of what I have learned as a film watcher and translate that into my own creative vision. You mentioned the one website. Is that the best place for folks to keep up with you and your work? Yeah, we, we have a, a website, com, jacksu.com, and then racialfacial.org. Uh, Very cool. Jeff Adachi, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for the great work, Mike. All right, we are back, and we we're talking about the slanted screen. Now, obviously, We've talked about this before. The documentary focuses on Asian men, and I can't say, like, oh, well, dude, you should have changed your documentary and made it inclusive of Asian females, because that just wasn't the point of the film. So I'm not going to try to uh, rewrite history here by you know saying, oh, well, this should have focused on more. But I was very curious if there was a comparable documentary about Asian females and how they're portrayed on screen. And I mentioned Hollywood Chinese, and that is a little more inclusive as far as both gender roles. 
But there's not, as far as I know, exclusively how Asian women are portrayed on screen. And I think that would be even more fascinating just because there is that whole expectation of submission. Just the way that the Asian males have to be neutered, it seems that Asian females, to your point earlier, Rita, either have to be those dragon lady, you know, evil types or the submissive female. I'm trying to remember the film I saw in women's studies class back in um, university because there was a documentary that, that talked about um, portrayals of Asian females on screen. Was that in Hollywood Chinese, where they talk about the world of Suzy, Suzy Wong? I believe you're right. I believe that might have been it. The same film, I see. So you're right. There isn't really another documentary about this. Yeah, when I went out and I looked for documentary Asian women, there was a, a response of this documentary, which seems like it might be fascinating, about this guy who does a uh, an order for a mail order bride and she comes over and he can't understand a word that she says and she basically ends up hating him and the woman who makes the documentary is uh, an asian female and she can translate all this stuff though she chooses not to usually and she will subtitle her with all of the the other woman's responses and everything and it just it, it seems like it could be hilarious i need to track this thing down and see how it goes hilarious and sad at the same time because there's there's one part in the preview where the guy who has the mail order bride walks in and this other white guy is like oh there's two of them now and referring to the filmmaker and i think that the the, he probably doesn't even realize that the filmmaker can speak english or anything it's like so it seems like there's there's uh that's one of the movies that I need to put on my to-watch list. I sort of wonder where the subservient, demure uh, stereotype of Asian females come from. Is it because traditionally they're smaller in like physique than than you know white females or whatnot? Like I'm just trying to figure out where that that comes from. That the whole idea that Asian female can only be a demure, subservient you know companion to a guy. Versus a dragon lady. I mean, there's nothing in between. And I sort of wonder where that comes from. Well, it almost seems like a geisha complex, you know, even though that's just exclusively Japanese. But again, white people generally don't even seem to realize that there are more than just Chinese and Japanese or what the difference is between the two. It's like, oh, y'all look alike to me, so who cares? I don't think that's the truth, though. I think that's a very – or maybe I'm just overly optimistic that I feel like people are more educated than, you know, Trump's America kind of thing. I would hope so, but at the same time, I know like you know things will come out and they'll say like blah 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 samurai, and then it'll have all these Chinese things in it. And it's like, come on, guys, quit mixing up your your cultures here, you know? Or it'll be you know like some sort of exclusively Korean uh, reference, and then there's you know a Vietnamese thing right in the middle of it. And it's just like, what the fuck is going on, you guys? Do a little fucking research. Which is really funny because I think in the slanted screen and also all these articles I've read that you know an Asian actress is it doesn't matter if he's Japanese, he's interchangeable for other Asian cultures. Meaning he can be Japanese, he could sorry he could be either Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese. Chinese. It doesn't really matter to the general audience. We have a whole boatload of Australian actors and actresses playing American, but we don't really talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, I spoke to a woman a few months ago for Nothing Less Forever, uh, Lauren Tom, and she was saying the same thing. Like She's played every stripe of Asian uh, person around, every ethnicity, and yeah, really 
it well, it doesn't matter to her because she gets paid at the end of the day. I know that that sounds cynical, but really it's like, okay, somebody's going to take the role, so it might as well be her getting the paycheck. And really, there is still that misunderstanding as far as like, oh, well, yeah, you can play Vietnamese just as well as you can play Korean, just as well as you can play Japanese or Chinese. And it's just like, you know, I mean, one of the things that I was surprised wasn't a bigger controversy when it happened was, I want to say that wasn't uh, memoirs uh, of a geisha all uh, Chinese actresses instead of Japanese actresses? And there was a controversy at the time, I remember, because they have Gong Li and uh, Zhang Ziyi playing the roles of Japanese geishas. But, you know, it didn't really blow up to the same extent as uh, the Ghost in Shell whitewashing. I just think it's just a, a reflection of the Twitter generation. Yeah, it, it seems like the first time I really read about that was on uh, Twitter or Reddit, and it just was like, okay, finally, people are paying attention to this stuff. And then I think between Ghost in the Shell and then the Doctor Strange preview being released when it was, it was just like a bridge too far. People just had had enough when it came to that. I don't know what the changes are going to be, and that's one of the things that the slanted screen it kind of leaves you in this moment of hope. You know, and this thing was made in 2006, so it's just like, okay, has stuff changed that much in the last 10 years i would think that we're a little bit farther beyond it but then there are other times where i'm just like yeah things still aren't as good as they need to be and this whole idea of the whitewashing of these characters that really played right into it yeah i agree too i mean in the slanted screen they were saying that the onus is on you know having more asian writers in the writing room writing better roles for asian actors you know, I, I think we need to take it further than that. I think the onus shouldn't just be resting on the Asian community to change the way that how Asians are perceived. I think we need to broaden the scope and, and encourage audiences to not be so narrow-minded. But it's difficult. It's a chicken and egg thing, just like what uh, earlier we were talking about Max Landis and about how Asians aren't offered these big roles is because they because there's a fear that they can't draw bank they, they can't bring people to the to the, the box office but if you don't give them opportunity when how is that going to change i guess i never really thought about asians and how they're portrayed on, on screen as much as you do because i guess i'm so entrenched in it or, or maybe the type of films i watch aren't so mainstream maybe i don't know because it, it doesn't come up as much or maybe i internalized it we can talk all day long about how an Asian person can't open a film, but will they ever open a film if we keep saying that they can't? Exactly. Do you watch the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? I do not. Okay, so in the role, there's a there's a Korean actor who plays a Vietnamese person with uh, a very thick accent, and he's a very um, he's very good at math. He's very hardworking. You know, he plays a love interest of Kimmy, who's white. And one would think that this is very progressive because, you know, he's an Asian man trying to go for a, a, a gorgeous, you know, clueless, I guess, uh, white woman who's very attractive. But, you know, spoiler alert, in the end, he doesn't really get her, you know. So that that's perpetuating the stereotype that the Asian man cannot, has to be neutered and it has to be, you know, they exist as eunuchs. But at the same time, I was reading this article about him, the, the actor who plays him. Uh, his name is Ki Hong Lee, Korean actor w- who speaks perfect English. He's now, um, I think they were they were 
hoping that he will be the next big uh, box office draw because he's in the Maze Runner, which is um, sort of, sort of like uh, um, the Hunger Games. Here, here you have an Asian guy who's in a teen, you know, box office film. So, you know, I'm being hopeful that more and more there will be more Asians that that will fulfill these bigger roles. So there was this actor uh, who was on um, Supernatural, Asian actor, who's from Vancouver, couldn't find roles in America. So he did what a lot of Asian actors did, which is to go to China or go to Asia to find roles. And then he did that, and he realized that he couldn't relate to a lot of people over there because he's truly North American. There's a quote of him to say that it made him very sad that he had to leave his home to try to do the thing that he loved in a place that he didn't really feel like he belonged. And I just thought that was really sad. Well, thank you, Rita, for coming on the projection booth. I'm really hoping that you'll be back again. I know it's been a little bit tricky setting up a time to record this with you. What's been keeping you busy these days? Um, I'm currently working on a TV show for the Smithsonian Channel called The Weapon Hunter. You know, just working on that and developing my own projects. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. Thanks to everybody for listening. To find out more about what you heard today, go to our website, projection-booth.com, where we'll have links to all kinds of goodies. have some YouTube videos up there for you. So thanks for listening to this special episode of the Projection Booth, and be sure to tune in on our regular days, which are Wednesdays, and we will be here to help entertain you. Oh, mm-hmm.
If you enjoy this show and want more people to know about it, head on over to iTunes, leave a comment, and rate it five stars. Make sure you like and share us on Facebook, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Just search for Christopher Media. Thank you in advance for supporting Christopher Media by clicking on the PayPal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support ChristopherMedia.net. Most importantly, we would like to take the time to extend an extra special thanks to you. Christopher Media could not exist without your support. Thank you for visiting ChristopherMedia.net, and thank you for listening. Christopher Media. Let's make some noise.